Hello and welcome to episode 46 of The Horus Heretics. I'm Neil. And I'm William. And we will be finishing off uh, Fear to Tread by James Swallow. The last episode featured us liking the book <laughs> up until this point. This is all very difficult because we literally just talked about it five minutes ago. So yeah, let's dive straight into finishing off this book. So we left it, Creed, the word bearer being an absolute cartoon villain, saying... It is time at last. The perfect moment of treachery has shown itself. And he takes that perfect moment and turns tail and run, yeah. leaving all the Blood Angel ships to be attacked by all of these sort of mutant monster ships yeah. around Cygnus Prime. And there was, there was a, a thing that we forgot to mention in the last episode here as well, where there was like... So basically they've been scanning all these planets since there's no sign of activity or, or the usual kind of communication signals they'd pick up and stuff and that's obviously they were finding the dead bodies with no bones in them as we as we mentioned but also there was like at one point around about here before they get attacked i think by the ships there's they just see there's like heaps of bodies just floating in space mm. and it was just another good instance of sci-fi horror um, yeah stuff that's done in this part of the book but yeah so that so there's a big fight and obviously there's as you mentioned, I think last time around, there had been a big space fight between the the space marine ships and and these sort of jumbled up chaos ships, and the but there had also been this kind of psychic attack that you'd uh, mentioned. I think that yeah. sort of kicked off this this sort of attack, and uh, that had targeted. Oh, well, it didn't really affect or didn't affect at all the space marines, but it affected sort of all the other humans. Um, on their ships or a lot of them anyway and so initially it was like the captain there was we've not talked about it but there was a a captain of the the flagship of the blood angels which is called the red tier uh, and she was like what was this that's duquid is that yeah yeah that's about? her yeah and she was like a senior and initially it was like she was too resilient to succumb to this but turns out she totally succumbed to it and <laughs> she starts like shooting everyone on the bridge and basically yep. sets the ship on a course to crash into Cygnus Prime. And as you said last episode, that there would be a number of people shot in the head in this episode, <laughs> and Ducade is one of them, and she is the source for that bullet herself. She commits suicide, and in some way makes it so that nobody can turn the ship around. And this enormous, like, miles-long ship just plummets through the atmosphere and lands and just plies an enormous furrow and comes to a halt on the surface of this planet. And there is Sorry. there is like a, a city that just opens up and a huge demon army, hundreds of thousands strong, just like marches out. And just like that, they turn the uh, ship into a sort of fortress, which I thought was pretty cool. I was like, yeah, this is cool. I thought, actually, the, the, yeah. the story didn't pan out the way I thought it was going to, which I thought they were going to, like be on the defensive, like having a siege from mm-hmm. the fortress that they'd made their ship into. Which I just thought that, that was... Because uh, they were like, they had a determination to be like, we're going to... This is a shit situation, obviously. <laughs> we've, cra- yeah. we've crashed. There's obviously some wild, warp-driven demonic shit. We might be getting betrayed by our... Um, <laughs> by <laughs> One of them notices the, the word bearers like, like just slipping away. At this moment, yeah, that's Meros. Yeah, then then they like put two and two together, and they're like, "Oh, looks maybe Horus is this is all a big trick." And some of them, it was actually a really fun scene because Meros is just telling them he saw 
the word bearers flee. And there's a lot of people just going, what, who the fuck is this guy? Let's not, <laughs> let's not just take his word for it. Wait, is it, it's just the guy that came back from that planet talking about the core monsters. <laughs> yeah, this guy's a fucking nut job. He, he can't be trusted. And Amit, the flesh terror, who is kept around because he speaks his mind, apparently. He goes, no, it's true. And what's more, he puts two and two together immediately. and goes, and what's more, this must have come from Horus, who's also a turncoat. And Sanguinius just kicks him in the chest and knocks him down or something like that. But then one of the the space wolves says, no, it's true. And then he comes clean. He says that we've destroyed the Thousand Suns already. Their Primarch has already turned. We've been sent to all the Primarchs to keep yeah. them in line. They just like weigh out the whole plot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like breaking any suspense or anything. They, they just be like... No, this is how it is, and sets the scene for the the rest of the book being just like a big open warfare with no like grey areas. It's just black against white. And they're like, we're up for a rumble, so if it's all the same with you, we'll stick around. Um, <laughs> uh, and what is funny though, you just mentioned about Amit. Like, so I think at this point in the book, and at least one other point in the book, it's, it's Sanguinius, I think, speaks about how he likes his sort of core inner circle to of advisors in in his legion to offer different characteristics and stuff and he's so he's yeah like you said Amit's quality is that he, he can see the unthinkable sort of thing and um, maybe make them see outside of their usual their usual way of seeing things and so it's talked about how much Sanguinius appreciates that and that's why he keeps him around however he does also like kick him to the ground or something here when he says it (laughs) this is your like Amit look I I do ultimately appreciate that you just gotta understand this occasionally when you say these things (laughs) do you think at the end of every one of these meetings Sanguinius just puts his arm around Amit and just goes sorry mate I know it keeps on happening I I really do appreciate it so next time keep keep the chin up next time do say it do say what you want like every time one of these fucking conclave gets called and it's just like, oh fuck's sake he's just like, I'm fucking black and blue constantly from the fucking beatings I I'm get still, from that fucking psychopath I'm still sore from the last meeting and now I've got to tell him he's being portrayed by his like his most powerful brother his beloved brother yeah, yeah. so all, all the communiques they get like all the they get oh shit and and what Fulgrim too and Perturabo too what eight nine nine Primarchs have turned traitors it just goes oh fuck <laughs> <no>. <laughs> he's like somebody else is telling them this time yes somebody else rolled around going no that's not my gimmick mate. I'm just I'm pragmatic I'm just I go Azkalon can you just give me a week off here mate <laughs> Azkalon's just like no it's it's more than my job's worth man it's up to you I'm afraid I'm basically just here to be a dickhead but not just not to say anything that unconventional no it's not yeah I'm the right hand of Sanguinius what he says I just back up so like Ahmed, I'm sorry, but if you're down, you may also get a wee kick in the ribs from me too. That, we all have our roles to play. <laughs> anyway, so this like demon army marches out of this this cathedral of the Mark. It's a, a big bone cathedral. It's a real, 
it's described quite well. It's, it's this the world just seems like completely blasted and devastated, yeah. and it's just like a, a play area for demons now. Yeah, and whereas all the previous. I suppose there has been like destruction before, but this just seems red skies. It just felt like hell, yeah. like a real representation of hell. Yeah, it reminded. It reminded. I was imagining like the Sagrada Familia, but made out of bones. Here, yes, like the way it described yes, it, absolutely. And also, I, I like. I don't know. It also reminded me a bit of like in the Judge Dredd comics when Judge Death and the other. I can't remember what they're called, but the other like judges, he got like Judge Fire and stuff, Judge Decay or something that he goes around with, and they come from like dead world or something and and like there's some stories where judge dread gets pulled into their dimension and and it's this is what it reminded me of just like stuff constructed out of like skeletons and yeah and yeah. And, and stuff like that yeah we that sort of at this point that's kind of off in the distance but it's visible from the where yeah. the ship has crashed and they all march and have a big scrap led by sanguinius and he in the middle of the battle has a bit of a chat with this bloodthirster Cabanda. <laughs> it's great whenever like great war heroes meet on the battlefield. They can never just get stuck straight into battle. They always have to talk while they're surrounded by mass murder. But that's that was pretty good. He says, you can join us and I'll spare your sons. Sanguinius says he won't. And so Cabanda will like always haunt his sons forever. And he says that Horus has betrayed him and has marked him for death. I wasn't quite happy with this part of the story or this thread that goes through it, but he calls on rage fire, <laughs> which instantly kills 500 of like his nearby sons. And that psychic shock sends Sanguinius into a coma and the rest of his brothers in the battle into a black rage. Yeah. So yeah, this was like some concept where the via the warp in some way they harnessed all the anguish and like just the bad feeling of various forms around. So they often talk about the warp being a realm of like emotion, pure emotion and stuff. Yeah. And so they've sort of harnessed all the bad emotion associated with the fact that they've killed everyone basically in this entire system they've harnessed harnessed that into a weapon which sort of in this one strike from the bloodthirster that sort of explodes somehow and and kills like yeah about 500 space marines and as far as some of them know it's killed sanguinius as well and then it it, that kicks off essentially the rest of the story because it it drives the like you say that the blood angels i guess they don't like well, they do in some instances. They don't all go like full vampire, but they just all go into a total rampage, basically. And they... Yeah, apart from Sanguinius and Meros, Meros manages to ferry Sanguinius back to the ship that's on the ground. And the rest of them who have been around that pariah woman that they picked up at the start, she deadens the warp magic. They are protected as well. But the rest of them who are like in the middle of the battlefield use that black rage to continually kill the rest of the demons. But as they start whittling down the demons, they start turning on it, turns on the space wolves contingent and kills them and and stuff like that. So that we have like hundreds and hundreds, like thousands of space marines who have just lost themselves to just yeah. pure on killing yeah. 
then we see Creed and Cabanda and Kyrus all in the Cathedral of Bones, just bandying words with each other. So clearly they're rivals and they're, I guess they are united, but it's a very much unstable a unity that they have. And they're like bandying words with each other and like making claims and shouting at each other, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and like the so the like the demons representing like Slanesh, they are like they're on the side of the original plan of Erebus to To turn Sanguinius. Turn Sanguinius and then Corn and now the like Creed the corn demon thing and creed are see I, I was going to ask you when when the bloodthirster did the big psychic shock thing and it was saying it was some offer to sanguinius of join us or your sons can be okay if you sacrifice yourself or something was he like lying it doesn't really matter but was he like just trying to he was he actually trying to kill sanguinius or was he trying to keep him alive at that point and did you see what i mean in terms of the two plans they had yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter too much anyway, because they no. they were having this sort of ongoing argument about it, basically. And like the the Slanesh one, wait a minute, you said I thought we were taking him back uh, as one of our one of us, but the corn guys, I'm always up for killing, and if somebody said killing, <laughs> yeah. so um, that's what things move on. Yeah, so we're going on. Yeah, I I you know what I missed that I didn't that wasn't something I thought about at the time. But yeah, Sanguinius is out of action. He is. In some sort of coma, there is uh, a enormous battle still going on. All of these uh, demons with Creed are in the cathedral. Ralderon is protected by this pariah, as I said, but he's got this targeting beacon that would trigger like orbiting lance guns directed on the cathedral. But they hatch a plan to bring Sanguinius around and stuff like that. But he, there's a, a very good line that says, Raldron, this war, it had all become too supernatural for him. <laughs> <laughs> so he was just like, I was having a good time. But the, when the magic started flying, no, just a, no, oh, <laughs> just I want this done. Just a little too supernatural for my taste. <laughs> but like, he, yeah, so that's one part of their plan is they're gonna so they if yeah well, they've got that for a minute I was, and for a minute I was like why aren't they just doing that already but I guess it's because all the like as in dropping the orbital bombs in, yeah. in the cathedral but I guess it's because this the all the blood angels are completely lost discipline and they're just running all over the place so it would yeah kill a lot of them as well so that's one plan they're going in with the pariah woman uh, Niobe I think was her name um, and they're. Um, going to try and I guess confront the take out the source of yeah the, just head for the you know the head of the demon force and whatever kind of magic power is making all the blood angels go um, berserk um, but he so that's one plan and then Kano and the other he's there's a bit of a plot of him sort of meeting up with other librarians and them saying like I think we've all, they'd all been having this these dreams Oh, the volcanoes, mm-hmm. I think, were slightly different. And they also have a bit of a chat with this guy, Red Knife, I think he was called, who was like the... The, sort the of, rune priest of the Space Wolves. Yeah, so they, like... And then at this point, they're, like... They're speaking with the the medics and stuff who are trying to work in Sanguinius. And they're basically like, look, I think we're going to... 
we're gonna have to try some of our magic here because yeah step back with your science books and all your nonsense your your microscopes i'm gonna get out my grimoire <laughs> and we're gonna go into his head <laughs> yeah they're basically like look it's warp shit that's done this to him so it's warp shit that's gonna it's that kind yeah. of stuff that's gonna get out of it so they go into a sort of trance or something and, and go in mm-hmm. and try and get him uh, so those sort of two things are going on at the same time yeah and you mentioned about the and his crew like killing the space wolves didn't you and, mm-hmm. and in the course of that at least one of them did a proper full on vampire bite in the neck of one <laughs> of them um, but anyway so the, yeah the, those are the sort of strands and there's just war breaking out all around um, so so our uh, our magician friend goes into like Sanguinius's mind and finds him uh, crucified with all these like black and red threads going in and out of him and tying him up and stuff and then he experiences like visions of all of these different futures of Sanguinius like he goes back to Baal the home planet of the blood angels in the future he finds it's in ruins then he's on Horus's ship above Terra and he finds the emperor and Horus fighting and Horus defeating the emperor then he's in the imperial palace and Sanguinius kills Horus and then another future where Sanguinius hurts Horus but is then killed or Sanguinius taking over as the emperor and then there's a a sort of interesting bit where he sees the body of like leading Ralderon leading the body of Sanguinius back to Baal and that's interesting because at the start of the book like Sanguinius is meant to have this sort of power of foretelling and he did a reading <laughs> which is pretty much what it is like a seance type reading of Ralderon at the start and gets this like weird look on his face and says oh I see you back on Baal looking very proud and in this vision Ralderon is back on Baal looking very proud as he leads the body of Sanguinius back to like its final resting place I think that's meant to set up that he Sanguinius has this vision or like foretelling of his own demise but that's just mentioned so that's I uh, just mentioned that because that's that might be quite interesting for all future stories yeah um, there is this is definitely the plot I'm going back a little bit and it's just sort of a side thing but I thought it was just pretty interesting so there's I think this is just when they not long after they've crashed on the planet and they're figuring out what to do and it talks about so they're like on the bridge and Rald runs there and, and Sanguinius is there and they're just I think they're just looking out to her plan what to do and it says Sanguinius stood at the portal and his lips moved Rald run did not catch the words but he saw the intent in his master's eyes a question he decided but to whom um, he drew a breath my lord we live still Indeed, the Primarch's manner shifted and something troubling was pushed away from the surface to be eclipsed by a strong and confident aspect. And I was like, that was really the only bit I picked up on this anyway, but that was hinting to me that like maybe he does, Sanguinius does see the Emperor as like a god or something, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, that he can pray to and or, or invoke um, or communicate with in some way. Anyway, it's not really a big thing, but I just thought it was an interesting mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah, uh... Here is a bit because I, I, I have to say I don't quite know how this happened, but your man Cano is kicked out of Sanguinius's mind because all of the other 
magicians were like giving him their power and they all burnt out and this last one was killed by a like a cultist anyway he's kicked out of Sanguinius's mind and somehow Sanguinius is, awo- is awoken by that I'm not quite sure how that happens but he kills this last cultist and takes off and flies towards the cathedral pretty pissed off yeah cut to the cathedral and Creed is watching all of the destruction having a bit of a good old time but with all of the with Kairos and Cabanda like arguing all the time over what the right plan is he is having some doubts because there's been all this stuff about the the word bearers following the emperor and going through tests and finding out that no the emperor is not the right person to follow now they've fallen upon these warp gods who are incredibly powerful and worthy of of praise and worthy of worship and now he is seeing these like arguing whinging children and he's just going are these is this really who like who we should be following yeah and it's like quite it's an interesting sort of moment of clarity just going like maybe we have maybe we're like really weak maybe we this sort of never-ending need to follow to worship something is a real problem for us yeah like that that is i made a, a similar note to that about it is quite interesting like because yeah the 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 way that chaos is represented usually in in the you know warhammer lore is is these four gods of chaos but most of the time when we've seen it um in these books it's more it's been represented maybe there's sometimes hints that it's like a specific god is involved but usually the gods aren't referred to directly and it's more this sort of amorphous and lovecraftian kind of unknowable dark powers that lie behind reality and kind of and and yeah so that that's one thing that's quite interesting we now do get into like much more directly into that there's these different chaos gods and they can fight with each other and uh, and have different gimmicks but the but that's also interesting yeah what you say about like how because there was a line here where I just thought like this actually I'm not saying this is like as a bad thing necessarily but like just compared to how we've seen them before some of the like chaos seemed like kind of weak in a way here like whereas other times it just seems like this all powerful kind of thing that yeah that sort of lying behind the whole universe and can um, whereas there was bits here where, where you think well the way this has been talked about just really doesn't make chaos doesn't sound that powerful but i really like that because you would think that like in the early on stages of even learning about chaos and learning about the warp that you don't know anything about it and it's scary and it's just they've got demons that's fucked up and it just seems like this never-ending supply of monsters that it can send against you but as you learn more you see that it's actually directed by four gods and the different followers of these gods are actually like whinging losers in exactly the same way as mortals are (laughs) and it just it does make it seem less scary but only through learning more about it yeah and experiencing more of it i thought it was i i I suppose it also helps to explain why they actually want to bother like turning horus and um they, they don't have the power to just like at the snap of the fingers you know suddenly take over everything they do there is like an expense they have to spend sort of power and energy to 
yeah. manifests in the corporeal world and stuff like that. Um, it's not like they're they're completely all powerful, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's just a bit of an interesting perspective and more into like how they are, um, how they exist in the sort of normal lore of the Warhammer stuff than they had yeah. been portrayed up to this point. But um, yeah, just to to a couple of points in the bit you were just describing, like after after the he'd come out, Kano had come out of the dream. With um, where it was in Sanguinius's mind basically, and then it's just this guy that was like doing the killing. It was this guy Hengist who just like his whole. It was just I thought it was a little bit funny how like he was amongst the survivors that they found who'd been protected by this pariah, and he just the whole time he'd be this completely sneering, just obnoxious <laughs> prick basically, and then it's, and yep, he's just a right old. Chaos cultist. Yeah, <laughs> there, yeah. there was no you know the mean? most obvious one in the world. <laughs> um, but anyway, he gets sometimes the best cover is the most obvious <laughs> cover. <laughs> and anyhow, he gets he gets killed by very quickly when when Sanguinius comes around. Okay, and I think it's cat blasts him with some lightning magic, and then it says he exploded. Hengist exploded before he could even before he could scream in pain. Blood and meat vaporizing and a wet mist that darkened the floor and ceiling. So just like, Very just good. an absolute straight up mist in there um, by magic. <laughs> and then yeah, I, I I quite liked the I actually quite liked the moment of like when Sanguinet when because Kino was like fuck like I got pulled out of this too early, didn't succeed. All this was for nothing. And then like Sanguinet like taps him on the shoulder and was like. I'm here, mate. And it was like one of those fucking yes moments. He just basically <laughs> yeah. flies off. It was just one of those cool moments in an action or uh, film or something where you're the protagonists are being like overpowered and then suddenly the reinforcements arrive and he, he just flies off into the sky immediately um, yeah. towards towards the death, uh, the Tower of Bones and, and the sort of climactic battle that's going on in there. Yeah, so that, that really sets the scene for the sort of as you say the climax of the book which is in this sort of the penthouse of the cathedral <laughs> the where kairos and kabanda and the word bearer creed is hanging out and meros ralderon are climbing into that room with defended by the the pariah woman what did you say her name was i think it was niobe niobe with Sanguinius on the way and they get up and they there's like there's some good battling going on Meros is defending Niobe but is shot many times by Creed but then there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a scrap and Meros rips his face off by using his Narthesium gauntlet thing to drill up through his brain and then rip it out forward and stuff it is nasty death um, just and just when you meant just mentioned like his apothecary glove thing that he's got there, it just reminded me that there was a lot of uh, the Susan membrane in this book, which made me smile. <laughs> I remember the first time that came up, that was that was funny. Yeah, and yeah, so the more fighting looks like the demons are going to kill them, but in comes Sanguinius, and he like throws his sword yeah. right away at Kairos and just like pins it to the wall yeah in a really funny sort of you're not so tough kind of way just like i'm just gonna i'll deal with you in a minute i'm gonna deal with the bigger one first 
Yeah. And, and yeah, I just thought this fight was fun. Yeah, so he gets in, yeah, he gets into a big, like it's a bit of a weird move in a way, like throws away his sword and then goes into a fist fight with the demon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he just sort of like pummels the corn demon's face. And then uh, most of the other, there's a bunch of other, there's all sorts of shit going on. A bunch of smaller demons have emerged from a hole, a sort of a hole that leads down to hell, a hell type sort of thing. Yeah. And there's a sort of big fight going on, and obviously the um, Meros and that are, are dealing with the word bearers who they kill off pretty quick. And uh, anyway, it sort of comes to the scene where Sanguinius has basically got the better of I've forgotten the cane, the corn demon's name, but he's got the better Cabanda. Cabanda, and he's and then the demons like uh, makes him an offer, basically, doesn't it? Yeah, like. And for a second, he's uh, he, they are all shocked because he sort of falters for a second. What is it? What exactly is does he? I think, if I'm right, I think he he throws Cabanda down a big hole into a fire. I think the offer is from Kairos. Oh, is it right? Okay. Yeah, and it all comes down to this. There is this. The rage fire is being like perpetuated by this. The body of the the blood angel that Erebus got in the first half of the book from uh, Fabius Bile. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they have turned his, like, perpetual death and suffering and feeling of abandonment into something that is projected outwards and is perpetuating this rage and stuff. And like it, it's coming... Kyrus says, and this is fucking mental. The, like, the whole plot here... I was just like, this sounds. If there are no rules, there are no rules, and you you can make up anything. And this just didn't hold true. But after such a massive battle, who cares? No? You, don't, um, you know what's funny? Sorry, just what I found no. funny about this is like all of that stuff you just said. That could have just been like a thing that was all just sort of sensed through. There's plenty of dreams and seeing the unreality of the yeah. warp, etc. Like it could have all just been a thing that was just generally. In, but but this this power this chaos this chaos power was embodied by a large MacGuffin suspended from the ceiling. <laughs> yes, very much. <laughs> An actual a capsule, I think it was referred to. Yeah, <laughs> but it it needn't be a capsule. It could have been a large crystal, for instance. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was funny. Yeah. It was like they didn't really need to go down that route here, but they just chose to add that in. Let's have it physically represented by a, a thing suspended from the ceiling. But uh, the offer, you you might have thought that that sounds mad. It hasn't really started getting mad yet. Kyra says to, that you need to take all of that rage into yourself and by doing so you will become one of us essentially that will be his turning to chaos if you don't do that all of your sons will die because they had pretty much killed all of the demons outside and we're now like looking at each other denying each other up just going do you want are we going? Are we scrapping? <laughs> and and they were like, the only way to stop that is for you to take this rage into yourself and become this like demon of chaos. And Sanguinius is considering it. And uh, there's there's a few lines in the book 
where all of the the normal bloody angels are like just saying no my lord and it's just yeah. they're just like outraged by the thought of it meros who is the most outraged is just i can't let that happen he starts taking off his clothes <laughs> well, well, and, and he then does the thing that people do in films where he cuts a rope and it acts as a kind of uh, pooey <laughs> that's right pooey yeah. sort of drags him up to the MacGuffin hanging on the ceiling. Yeah, yes <laughs> that's right and he's up there and then sanguinius says no he kills kairos and flies up and says no you can't do this and meros pretty goes pretty much goes i've taken off my clothes already <laughs> and and he like puts his gauntlet thing and like takes his own progenoid glands out so that he can like those can go back to the legion and and another space marine can be made from those and he jumps into this what is it like a red mist in a container yeah. and takes all of that anger and fury and stuff into him which what happens like all of the bloody angels just start coming to and just oh god oh yeah. i've done one or two things i'm a bit ashamed about anyway back to the red tier yes and that's it yeah and, and like so he has become the red angel that that's we had all those visions, the visions. Of People, I guess the sort of uh, assumption was that it was something to do with Sangonius which obviously was the intention of the demon yeah. but it, it, he took it on um, himself and a, there is, there's quite a bit of stuff goes on here sort of after this is finished but I, I'm struggling to remember it at this point there's, there's a message from that is received and all it lists all of the different traitor legions so that's all like out in the open yeah it, admits to killing the space wolves and Ascalon is like the legion needs unity now more than ever so you need to keep that quiet yeah. because we need just like complete unity because oh, he can't he was like if you tell sanguinius that he's going to feel that he has to tell the space wolves and that's yes. going to result in they're going to obviously be pissed off yeah, yeah anyway sorry yeah and the man cano meets with Sanguinius again and he says I saw all these different futures some are good some are bad tell me about knowing the future and Sanguinius goes on that kind of knowing the future can change the future and so no one can really know what it is but he does start talking about in very sort of definite terms about how the blood angels need to prepare for a time when he's dead and that seems pretty like a pretty interesting thing and they there's a bit i didn't quite understand they they go into the warp but like they they fall out of it to a place of safe harbor they find like imperial army ships and it turns out to be a fleet of ultramarines led by gilliman yeah and and it turns out to be ultramar that they've come to because it said it was something like they they just targeted to go for the strongest signal or something or like warp signal yeah the strongest psychic symbol which which, which they'd assumed would be terra the emperor but it's so that's interesting to see where that goes but yeah uh, that... Ep- epilogue then there's a, an, a quite interesting epilogue where erebus brings a chained red angel to horus the red angel says like he is a weapon he's called the willing slave and he is a weapon of chaos and Horus says, oh, great. Always good to have a new weapon. A nice one. <laughs> and then Malagorst says, Angron has taken the name the Red Angel. And 
the Red Angel says, well, if he wants the name, he can fight me for it. I deserve it more. Yeah. You're like, okay, it'll be a good fight. But then there's a really good bandying of words between Erebus and Horus. Because Erebus has found out that Horus tried to have Sanguinius killed. Horus was like, yeah, I wanted him killed. So what? Do you think you're the equal of me? And he says, just to show that you're not the equal of me, Horus grabs Erebus and cuts his face off. Oh, yeah. Literally. Jesus, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, good ending there. I, I thought it was like, it was quite good to see actually, like, that, like, Erebus's character moving forward in some way. I'm not saying it's like in any massively sophisticated way, but it's, he's just, all along, he's been completely, like, very effective as a sort of manipulator and behind the scenes. Yeah. And obviously, he's, but here he's like, he's. He's put in his place, isn't he? Because, as you say, he has been completely effective in his tinkering and in his sort of behind the schemes mechanisms and here Horace just goes you've got a bit too big for your boots I'm the one leading this not you yeah and he also like he because he just gets frustrated and gets pissed off and he overplays his hand I guess and it's just he's, yeah there's a bit of a change there which I guess was is some sort of a development or interesting because a lot of a lot of times in these books we can go a long time with like certain elements of the grander narrative not having moved because we're dealing with some spy story and some but um like uh but this this one definitely did but yeah so that that was it basically so did you like what a great book you liked it yeah yeah in a in a big way really enjoyed it only thing i would say would be if a good bit of it was cut out yeah it would have been just amazing because it was just a big hellish battle yeah we haven't had one of those in a long time and it was exactly what i wanted really enjoyed it yeah i i was pretty much the same i i think it could have been shorter but overall like and there were some bits where it was like why are we back here and stuff but overall i thought it was quite just a simple coherent narrative that worked very well there was a phase of there's something dodgy going on here but we don't quite know what it is and then there was like the revelation of yeah, there's totally uh-huh. demons here. And then there was a just straight into, like you say, it's a totally demonic sort of hell planet. And yeah, some- and which is very much how I think of all stories with chaos should be, which is like real, like full planets dedicated to being hell. And the Ultramarines just go into it and just like pulp millions and millions of demons. And yeah, it was really good. I mean, and have got me like raring to go on the next one really sorry just to, i feel like maybe we forget to mention that we did maybe a lot when starting this podcast but we forget to mention we maybe don't so often note down all the like mistings and stuff that take place and all the descriptions <laughs> of people being like mm-hmm. torn apart by bolt or fire and stuff but there was a lot of them happening in this <laughs> book just as one particular one i just wanted to highlight i can't remember exactly where it's from but i think it's when they're fighting the cultists on cygnus prime it says, a horizontal rain of bolter fire and shrieking plasma met their advance and cut them down, ripping flesh into ribbons or ashing it with greasy chugs of meat smoke. Jesus. <laughs> what a line, Jesus. Meat smoke. Greasy chugs oh. of meat smoke. That's disgusting. <laughs> oh, that meat smoke is going to stay with me. That's, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> um... But yeah, the book, like, yeah, it was just good. It was good action, good horror. And to be honest, like, I actually, I actually, 
really as we often speak about how like the the space marines are the protagonist really of these stories but can often be quite boring or like just quite similar to each other and stuff like that and mm-hmm. I, I actually i quite like the characters in this book in the legion and i like the this the blood angels i found a lot more sympathetic than mm-hmm. than space marines often are sanguineous like there was an element of this like with Sanguinius sometimes that was a more straightforward than it usually is just you could treat it as just like a hero fighting the the villains yeah. sometimes I'm not saying I'm sure in the war he's done bad things and all that but just like in the way it was portrayed in this in this book and like the blood angels uh, were just quite interesting they're, they're, they're like I say they seem to care more about humans than mm-hmm. than a lot of the the legions do, even ones that don't turn to chaos. And they and 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 Sanguinius seems to generally care about his his sons in a way that's portrayed like convincingly. And they, but they've obviously got this interesting vampire flaw, which is pretty interesting. And his conclusion at the end of the book is, is no, we can't. We're never gonna overcome this. It's never gonna be gone. It's like mm-hmm. we have to just keep on going and, and get, find a way to live with find it. Find a way to live with it. And there was something there was something admirable about that kind of resolution of we're never gonna achieve our final victory or but it's just It's a much more real like the goal is acceptance of yeah of failure, acceptance of the reality of stuff, not always pushing for some perfect utopian future and i think yeah in and obviously they're not it's not a family in any sort of normal sense but like the this legion as a, a kind of weird family mm. was portrayed quite in quite an interesting way and they had like they had again like maybe some of this wasn't fully fleshed out but they had like various squabbles with each other in different ways and then i thought it was quite interesting this decision they'd made like to you know a uh, like was it Ascon and Ralderon that they weren't gonna tell Sanguinius about the the killing of the Space Wolves? And it was just this idea of I don't know. It's just I found something interesting about that, like a family that's like this idea of keeping secrets from other parts of the family for because it's for yeah. their own good and kind of thing. And like just this sort of interesting setup of like it wasn't just straightforward. Oh, that's the Mad Chaos guy. That's Lucius, who's just clearly loves the chaos. Um, and yeah. just um, it was just it was. An interesting, fairly interesting set of relationships that wasn't just defined in terms of loyalty to the emperor and loyalty to chaos. Yeah, I, like obviously the keeping of secrets has been a key thing throughout the the series. The emperor keeping secrets from Horus and from Magnus, and Magnus keeping secrets from everyone and all that kind of stuff but it's always seemed like pathetic like the emperor's kept some secrets from horus and so horus goes on a big whinge and decides to turn to chaos or like it it all just seems so overblown and one thing does not naturally lead to the other whereas this there was like meros was all was like forced to keep all of these different secrets like he was told to keep the secret of the initial soldier during the Nephilim campaign going mad. He was told to keep the secret of the no, the no bones. And you just see all of these like secrets being kept within the Legion and causing problems on like further on down the line as the secrets have to be kept because they, they were kept initially and 
then you're going to have to lie about them further on down the line and stuff if people find out and they're just the source of all of these sort of familial breakdowns basically that happened within the legion it was really good stuff yeah no it was good it was good i totally agree just a bit too so what's next do you know yeah i looked it up today and i'm afraid because we haven't always enjoyed these that much it's a collection of short stories and novellas i can't remember what it's called and but there have been some good short stories i think it was particularly just the novella collection we didn't get on with very well but i can't remember what it's called but it's one of those again Okay, we'll join us in two weeks for the first part of that, whatever it's called. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. Please do tell people, advocate for people to listen and any reviews you want to write on the iTunes store and stuff, that would be really helpful. That always, we always notice new listeners come in and it seems to be linked to reviews and stuff like that. Please do spread the word. You can get us at horseheretics at gmail.com. We will try and be faster at responding. We've just had a lot of shit on at the minute, but we are getting through them. So we do respond to everybody. So please do get in touch. And yeah, until then, we're leaving this on a high note. Thanks very much. Thanks, Joe. And yep, be back in a couple of weeks. Cheers. Cheers.